This episode of Between the Levees is brought to you by Water Waste Council Incorporated, the national public policy organization that advocates for a modern, efficient, reliable, sustainable inland waterways transportation system. As WCI celebrates its 20th year, we serve the operators, shippers, growers, and producers, ports, skill building trades, and conservation organizations that keep America and her key commodities moving on the inland system in the most environmentally friendly and safe way among surface transportation modes. To learn more about our important work and to join us, visit www.waterwayscouncil.org. Welcome back to Between the Levees. I'm joined today by Mr. Bud Osborne. Spent 51 years in industry, is happily retired in the Pittsburgh area. He was brought to me by Mr. Stephen Rausch six months ago from episode 20. Mr. Osborne, 63 episodes later, I'm glad we could finally get this arranged. Yes, yes, me too. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, these all begin the very same way. Sir, tell me, where were you born? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What did your parents do for a living? Well, uh, my father was uh, with Union Barge Line, uh, as was my grandfather, and uh, uh, in operations. And uh, he had started out on uh, steamer C.W. Talbot as a deckhand in 1932. And uh, so, um, you know, I was kind of born into the industry. Any good stories come to mind that he shared with you over the years about uh, working on steamers? Well, oh, just just little just little short things about uh, you don't dare shine a light outside of the pilot house or the pilot will come down out of there and whip you. And, and uh, oh, just nothing nothing really stands out at least not that i can repeat in, in polite company so uh um did your mother work no no she was uh she was a housewife how many siblings did you have just one okay sister and i think i saw you were born in december of 46 were any yes. of your family involved in the war yeah yes my dad uh Actually, after he failed the uh, physical for the Army Air Corps, failed the physical for the Navy, uh, he got my grandfather to pull some strings and get him into the Coast Guard. And, of course, the Coast Guard was attached to the Navy in World War II. And Dad ended up as a chief engineering officer on a destroyer escort on uh, Atlantic convoy duty. So he saw a bit of action. And was he back stateside when you were born? Yes, he was. So did he go directly into, you said, Union Barge Line? Yes. Uh, you know, he had been with Union Barge Line uh, before the war and then uh, went back in after the war. And, uh, you know, I think at that time, I think by the, by the time I was born, I believe he was assistant operations manager. All right. Well, tell me about uh, about your childhood. Well, uh, dad, excuse me, dad <coughs> bought a farm out in Washington County, about 25 miles west-southwest of uh, Pittsburgh. And that's where I grew up. 
and uh, we raised horses and and uh, and hay and grain and and whatnot. And uh, you know, I was very much into uh, farming at that time. And and uh, but uh, Dad said, "No, you got to go to college, kid." You know, that's all there is to it. So uh, so I went to college. Speaking of, were you drawn to anything in school from grade school to high school to what did you do in college? History, history and political science. Uh, you know, I started out as a business major and just hated it. And, you know, I wasn't real enthused about school in general. But uh, Dad said, no, you got to do this. So, uh and of course, by the time I got to my senior year, you know, it was time to go back for my senior year. Uh, I'd gotten a taste of the river and, uh, you know, I told him, dad, you know, I'm done. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to go back to school. I want to go back out on the, on the steel trader. And, uh, uh you know, that's what I want to do. And so he tried logic and general persuasion and and i wasn't having anything of it and he was a big guy and he said look if you don't get in that car and go back out to iowa i'm gonna kick your ass so i got back in the car and went out to iowa and finished my senior year so uh but you know shortly after that uh you know i failed the navy physical and uh, a week after that, I was I was on the steel courier southbound and and uh, happier than a hog and slop. During college, uh, when were you introduced to the river officially? Well, you know, officially uh, 1970 uh, is when I actually drew my first paycheck. You know, stood my first watch on a towboat. Um, but I I'd been on on and off the boats for you know, ever, ever since I was a little kid and my earliest recollection was, I don't know, I was probably about four years old and sitting on a, on a lazy bench in a pilot house of the Reliance with captain Charlie Biederman and, uh, with a couple of other, uh, children of union barge line employees and, and captain Biederman took us out for a ride just right there at Neville Island next to the landing. And, uh, and that, I, we all thought that was pretty neat. And then, you know, any time dad was going to go to Neville Island, which was usually on a Saturday, I'd tag along and, uh, you know, be climbing around on the boats and, and just really loving it. Tell me about some of those experiences. I don't know how much you remember details about being four years old out there, but I guess what was your, your first impression of it? What was your, were you drawn to it immediately? Yes, I was. And uh, probably when I was, I, I would say, eight or ten years old, uh, I was at home and bored and looking at, in my dad's library, and I saw this book called Towboat River. And I pulled it out and started to look at it, and, and I, I, was, I was instantly hooked again. It was uh, just fascinating, and, and, and that's, that's all I wanted to do, really, from then until I decided I wanted to be a farmer. And uh, 
wanted to be a farmer until, until I got started in college and, and, uh, and then I wanted to do play with cars for a living. And, uh, that never did quite pan out. So, uh, so one, one year I came home from school for the summer and dad said, uh, what do you think you're going to do this summer? And I said, I don't know, I guess work on the farm. And he said, no, I think we'll put you out on a towboat this summer. I said, sure. Great. So, uh, I went down to the union hall and, you know, the national maritime union in Pittsburgh and signed up and a week later I was on the steel trader. Now was that 1970 or 1970? So you'd have been what? 23, 24 by then, right? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, tell me about uh, that first trip, standing and watch uh, on that vessel. Well, uh, it was it was exciting. I you know I, I loved it. Um, it was you know a, a lot of you know going, getting up and going to work twice a day took some adjustment. You know because I was used to sleeping a lot and uh, or sleeping you know getting a full eight or eight or ten hours of sleep and yeah that wasn't going to happen. But uh, Leon Lyle was the mate, and uh, and he was he was a good guy, and uh, I learned a lot from Leon. Bill Marco was the watchman, and he was a good guy, and really, uh, really made sure I knew what to do and how to do it, and was safe in doing it. And uh, Howard Kelly was uh, the other deckhand with me on the we were on the we were on the forward watch and, uh, Howard was a pistol. He, he made my life as miserable as he could, but he was okay. You know, he, he was a good guy. So, uh, you know, I, I got introduced to, to the river old school, you know, through getting, getting screamed at and abused. And, <laughs> and it was, uh, it was an eye opener. What was that? Uh, six hour watches. Yes. Yes. And, and what kind, uh, what kind of hitch? 30 days okay. day for day. Well, tell me about that decking experience. Tell me about getting fussed at and what you were learning. And, and, uh, I guess also where were you, where were y'all running and what, how much were you shoving? What were you shoving? Well, we, uh, we took 15 loads of steel products, uh, a lot of pipe and, and a lot of coils, uh, straight from Pittsburgh to New Orleans. And then, uh, uh, then we, uh, took empties up to, uh, Burnside and lay there a couple of days while they loaded 15 loads of Brazilian ore for us. And, uh, we headed back up with the, uh, with the ore all the way to Pittsburgh. Um, and, and on other trips with OBL, you know, we always had, 15 loads both ways up and down. But, uh, sometimes we'd stop at Cairo and they'd put, uh, put another 10 on us and you know, we'd leave Cairo with 25. Of course, uh, we had the reusing 5,000 horsepower boats on the lower. Um, but they, the way OBL did it back then, the, um, the same crew, uh, except for the, except for the, for the pilot the captain and the chief engineer, 
they would stay on one boat, but the, the rest of the deck crew and the cook and the oiler would transfer to the, the other boat, you know, when they, we'd turn. And uh, so that way they kept the, the 5,000 horsepower boats on the lower and the uh, 4,300 horsepower boats on the, uh, on the Ohio. And how long were you on deck? I know you said you went to the engine room later. Yeah, uh, I was I decked for, uh, you know, like a couple of years. Uh, and it was, you know, off and on, uh, you know, in the summers. And, uh, and then finally, after I, after I finished college, uh, you know, I got, got a taste of decking in the winter. And uh, uh, it was... It was rugged, but uh, it was good. But I, you know, I started having trouble with my knees because I'd had trouble with my knees since I was 12 years old. That's why I couldn't get in the Navy. So, uh, so I talked, uh, uh, let's see, I talked Tom Marshall at Ohio Barge Line into letting me go in the engine room. And, uh, you know, because they, they were reluctant to uh, keep me on deck when I started to have trouble with knees. And uh, so they said, okay. And you know, that was, that was a little bit easier on the knees. And, uh, and I, you know, I got some good experience with some really good engineers in the engine room uh, with Fairbanks OPs and, and uh, the EMD 645 series. So, uh, so that was good. And, uh, you know, then I decided maybe I should be, a, you know, get a shore side job, which was ultimately, was probably a mistake. I should have, should have stayed in on the, on the boats until I got my license, but, uh, you know, young and foolish. So, uh, uh, so I, dad, uh, sent me out to see, well, several, uh, several people in the industry at different barge lines with uh, Ohio River Company, Valley Line, uh, Federal, and ACBL. And uh, uh, I walked, in, walked into Jack Walford's office at ACBL, and, and he said, well, you ain't as big as your old man. I said, nope. And he said, uh, you got a college degree? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, you'd make a good barge man. So, <laughs> so, uh, so that's, that's when I started with ACBL and that was in, uh, January of 73. And, uh, they really had quite a training program lined up for me and started out with a couple of weeks of Jeff boat in the yard there with, uh, uh, the ABS and Coast Guard inspectors and you know, learn how to put barges together. And then they sent me up to uh, Chicago to work with Frank Smootnack. And uh, I remember Jack Walford telling me, he said, uh, when you're going up to work with Frank, you better get you a pair of track shoes to keep up with him. He doesn't stop for lunch. He doesn't stop for anything. And, uh, so I went up there and worked with Frank for, actually I worked two winters up there with Frank. And uh, uh, Frank said I was the only one that's stuck with him all winter. He 
said the rest of them, they quit. So, uh, but I learned a lot from Frank uh, about barges, about emergency damage control, uh, and about keeping the cargo dry. Uh, you know, just uh, got a real good education there with, with ACBL. So, uh, then they moved me up to Minneapolis, St. Paul, and uh, and that was um, that was good. That was um, I really enjoyed that. It was you know just great experience for me. I you know I was more or less my own boss up there, and uh, you know it really uh, I got to do a lot of stuff and uh, worked out real well for me. So, uh, yeah, but when I, when I was getting married, so I told, uh, told Charlie Lehman, who was my boss, and I said, Charlie, I think I need to be in one place year round. And so Alton it was, and, uh, it was okay, but it was, it just didn't, didn't work out the way I'd hoped. And, uh, so I, you know, left ACBL and finally ended up back in Pittsburgh and uh, with a little startup outfit called Gilco, General Intermodal Logistics Company. And uh, what a zoo that was. So uh, tell me about that. Well, it was it was a startup company and it was trying to get started in a in a very depressed time in the industry uh you know the industry was in a real tailspin by 1975. uh you know we had again overbuilt you know there too many barges competing for the same cargo and and uh a lot of the smaller companies went under during that time you know 74 75 76 and uh but fortunately in 1976 uh, there was an opening at uh union meckling you know my dad had retired uh a year or two before so i was uh i was allowed to come to work at Dravot by then so uh so that and that was uh that was excellent. I loved it. You know, I thought I'd, the day I got hired at Dravo, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. And uh, it was, you know, a very well-run uh, company and uh, excellent equipment, excellent personnel. Uh, it was, it was terrific. Wish it would have lasted forever. Well, how far along into your career was that then? That was, well. That was 1976. So I'd, I'd gotten with ACBL, I'd gotten extensive experience with emergency damage control and uh, cargo transfer operations and laying out major repairs. And, and uh, so it was, you know, it was, it really uh, set me up well for going with Union Meckling. Because they they needed somebody with with that kind of experience, and, uh, and I had it. So so I worked in you know as a field service rep 
which was, you know, the same thing as, same thing as, as ACBL's barge maintenance supervisors. That's, that was, so it was the same job basically at Union Meckling that I, that I had at ACBL. Only I was a lot better prepared for it. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was, well, I loved it. It was great. Uh, and after a couple of years, they moved me into the office uh, as maintenance coordinator and, uh, for dry cargo barges. And uh, was in there for five, several years. I, let's see, from, I guess I was in the office for about five or six years. And, uh, you know, always in barge maintenance. And, and uh, so then uh, finally, uh, the industry was in the dumper again. And, uh, you know, everybody's bleeding red ink. And uh, next thing I know, they're moving Dravot-Meckling's entire office, entire headquarters to New Orleans. And I had just gotten, just gotten married for the second time, you know, with a ready-made family, just built a house. And, uh, I was in no position to move to New Orleans. And, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, they left me in Pittsburgh and, and left me with a job in Pittsburgh and in a company vehicle and everything. So I, could hang on for a couple of months, and uh, and then I left uh, Dravot Meckling to start my own business, a marine survey business, and that was in oh, that was in 80, 85, yeah, eighty five, eighty six, somewhere in there, I think eighty six, and. Uh, Managed to managed to hang on long enough to, you know, to get some uh, get some business built up, and and that was that. I managed to survive 30, 30 years. Well, through twenty twenty one as a marine surveyor, and uh, and that's when I retired. It's like about thirty five years, all working for yourself. Yes. Tell me about that adventure. Uh, well, it was, you know, it, it wasn't my first choice of, uh, of occupations, but, uh, you know, I loved doing it. Uh, but, you know, it was, I would much rather have had somebody else writing the paychecks. But, uh, but it worked out all right. And, uh, you know, I, had some real good clients and, uh, you know, met a lot of good people and, and, uh, and I, you know, I, I can't say really any of that 51 years was really negative. You know, there, there were some, some lean times and some tough times, but, you know, like they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So, so yeah, it was all good. You said you have two children. Uh, actually I have, three um just two two stepchildren and uh and then one of the youngest is, is our own 
has anybody followed you into the industry? Uh, the youngest boy started out, uh, well, he was in college. Uh, I, I got him a job with, uh, River Salvage, Jimmy Zubik. And, uh, and he, he got a, he got a pretty good taste of it and, uh, was doing pretty well. Um, you know, he, he's a good worker and, uh, you know, very, uh, he doesn't wait around to be told to do something. He jumps in and does it if it needs to be done. And uh, so, you know, Jimmy really liked him, but he decided he could, he could make more money and have more fun if he went into the gas well industry. So he did that for a couple of years and yeah, he made more money, but uh, he always missed the river. And then uh, he got married several years ago and and uh uh finally his uh his wife's family said we need you to come work with us so so he did and uh so he's uh, building uh, high-end uh custom homes so he's doing pretty well with that let's backtrack a few years here are there any stories you can share that might be questionable in today's world from your, uh, your decking days? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably more from my days as a barge man, but, uh, yeah, you know, the, the decking, uh, you know, it was tough and, you know, you, um, while safety was always a consideration, it wasn't obsessive. And I don't say that, I, I don't mean that in a negative way, but it wasn't obsessive like it is today. Uh, and, and, you know, we had more, more people, well, we lost more people then and had more severe injuries. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't remember deliberately doing anything dangerous while I was decking. But, uh, you know, there, there were, there were some times, uh, but probably, uh, you know, the surveyors and, you know, what we called back then barge men, which was, uh, you know, the, the, the people that were tasked with keep taking care of the barges, making sure they were in good order and getting repairs and then the doing the emergency damage control and all that. We, we were doing things back then that they just would absolutely forbid us to do now and not, not giving it a second thought, you know, it was yeah, nothing to it. Um, you know, we always entered the rakes and, and boxes to, uh, to look for fractures, uh, you know, from inside, uh, it was the best way to do it. And, uh, you know, we were, if it reeked of, uh, rotten grain, of course, no, we don't go in there, but, uh, uh no, we never gave it a second thought. And, uh, uh, the same thing was, you know, for dropping down in a wing tank to look for a leak, you know? Yeah, we did it and didn't have the, uh, oxygen sensor or, any of that. And, uh, 
And of course, we always went in the hopper to check for fractures and uh, checked for holes in the covers and uh, never gave that a second thought. And, you know, I, I carried a rope ladder with me to get down in some of these, some of these box barges. But, uh, gee, I remember Smootenack up in Chicago. He'd just throw a line down in there and get down the line and then pull himself up with the line. And, you know, I, I did that a, a few times too. And now the ladder's going to work better. So, uh, so yeah, we did that. And, uh, I can remember, uh, probably one of the times that came closest to dying, I'd gone up to, uh, was up around Clinton. I was up around Hannibal. Uh, one of our boats had done what they usually did on Friday afternoon and they'd rubbed a bridge and knocked a hole in the barge. So, you know, I loaded up a bunch of pumps and shingles and wedges and took off for Hannibal from Alton. And, uh, uh we got the barge stabilized and, and, uh, I had my truck parked at the lock. I, I don't know. I don't remember which lock has been a long time since I've been on the upper, but, uh, you know, I've been going, you know, full tilt since I got there getting this barge stabilized. And, and, uh, so we, we were, we had the pumps set out on the rake of the, had my pump set out on the rake of the barge and we're in the lock. And so, you know, while the, uh, you know, it was on the first cut and while the, uh, while they were getting set to, to lock or to, you know, lower the pool, uh, I was transferring my three inch trash, trash pumps off. Now they weighed, now they weighed, just under a hundred pounds. And, uh, you know, I put one foot up on the lock wall and the other foot on the barge and swing the pump over and hose and, and, uh, it was getting into a rhythm and, uh, deckhand there, uh, his name is Travis Huckabee. Uh, he was the lead deckhand and, uh, he was bringing the pumps over to me and I'd pick them up and swing them up onto the lock wall. And the last one, they had opened the, uh, open valves in the lock and the barge took a little surge and moved away from the lock. And I put my foot up there and there was no lock wall under it. And fortunately, Travis was right there and he grabbed me by the, you know, under my arm and pulled me back. But, you know, if he hadn't been there, I'd have been right, right in the, right in the lock between the barge and the, and the lock wall. So that was, uh, that was a good one. Well, what's one of the craziest things you've witnessed out there over the years? Oh, I don't know about cr crazy, but we uh, just pulling barges off the dam at uh, at Galapolis and at Amsworth and uh, where else? A couple of other places, Dash Yields. We had... Uh, Few years wasn't that many years back we had a uh an empty pentadyne barge uh which you know pentadyne's pretty pretty nasty stuff and 
they had gotten, they'd broken loose. I, I don't even remember where they'd broken loose, but they, uh, the Pentadyne barge was down there on, hung up on dash shields. And, uh, you know, just, there wasn't quite enough water for it to, to go over the dam. And so we were there, you know, kind of stuck waiting for some horsepower to pull it back off and river was falling. And, uh, you know, I had, you know, by, the, by this time I was in business for myself and was representing and had, uh, had Jimmy Zubik down there with me and, and, uh, well, Dick Davis was there, another surveyor representing, I don't remember who Dick was representing one of the other barge lines. I guess they had been involved with, with the breakaway and, uh, got talking with Jimmy and, and we both agreed that probably the best bet is just to drag that barge right over the dam, catch it on the lower end. And because if we waited, the river would be dropped, would have dropped out a couple more feet and the barge would really be, really be hung out there. And uh, so I called, told him what we wanted to do and they were reluctant. And he said, I said, okay, bud, but if this doesn't work, I'm going to come up here and kick your ass. Said, okay, Carl, no problem. It'll work. So uh, uh, Jimmy got, uh, got on the lower end with uh, a couple of his boats and they got a line on that thing and jerked on it a couple of times that came over there just as pretty as you please. Uh, they dry docked the barge in Houston to check for, for damage. And other than a couple of claw marks, there was nothing. They didn't, didn't have to do any repairs or anything. So, so Carl didn't have to come to Pittsburgh and kick my ass. Thankfully. Um, yes. Tell me about maybe some highlights of the trips from Pittsburgh to New Orleans that you made. Uh, well, I just love the tow boats. You know, they're big Graveau built boats. They were, they were nearly new then and uh, just in great shape. And, uh, you know, the, the, the pilots and you know, the pilots are really enthusiastic about them. They love the way they shoved and handled and steered back. It just did everything. And uh, so that was, that was nice. And, uh, you know, the air conditioning worked great and, uh, they had great cooks on those Ohio barge line boats. So we ate like Kings. It was, oh, it was great. Uh, and, and good crews, you know, real good crews. So, uh, you know, I remember making deliveries once at uh, Mead Johnson terminal on the Ohio at, uh, Evansville. And, uh, we had to had drop drop one and drop one or two and pick up the same number, and the uh, pilot just stuck the nose of the toe in there, and moved that whole fleet around there at Mead Johnson to clear up our barges, jerk them out of there, and then set our, our drops in there just as pretty as you please, and we put everything back in position. But that was you know there was no tug service you know back then we you know, we rarely had tug service. Uh, and you know, they, nobody wanted to knock the boat out of tow and, 
and go go pick up the barges and and it was a lot more convenient for everybody to, to just stick the nose of the toe in there and do our thing and and uh be on our way and you know back then we had the the deck crews that knew how to handle a lock or a line and uh could do all sorts of tricks flopping barges around it was uh it was impressive any specific scenery on that route that was especially memorable? I love the Ohio River. Uh, it was just, you know, it's just a beautiful river. Uh, and I wasn't real impressed with the lower. It was nothing but sand and trees and levees and, <laughs> and mosquitoes. And, uh, and you know, when we, I, I remember the first time we had to double trip to, uh, you know, shove up through a, a tight spot. And of course I was, I was the stern end man, you know, in other words, least seniority. So I got to climb down the ladder and wade through all the mud and everything, go up the hill and find a, a good tree to tie, tie half our toe off. And it was, it was in the middle of the night. And man, I was just sure there was a big water moccasin waiting up there to eat me. I was not happy about that. But uh, yeah, found a tree and you know got to drag the line up there and you know mud up to my knees almost it seemed like. And uh, yeah, so that was that was one of my memories of the, working on the lower. You know, the lower was never my favorite stretch. Well, finally, sir, tell me uh, a 51-year career with your father and grandfather. What, what has this industry meant to you and your family? Well, it was, you know, back then, you know, back when I started and really up up through the, up through the 80s, it was sort of the last frontier. And, uh, you know, we, we were rivals with the other companies. But, you know, when somebody got in a bind, you helped them out. It didn't matter whether they were the, the competition or not. You, you helped them out, did the best you could for them, and, and they did the same for you. And I miss that now. You know, that's, that's not, that doesn't happen as much anymore. And it's, it's a shame. But, you know, that's, that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, it was everybody knew everybody pretty much in the industry, you know, you, uh, you know, I knew the, the people at ACBL and Valley and, and, uh, and, you know, we, you know, we all, we all helped each other. It was, uh, it was sort of a, more of a fraternity than an industry. And, uh, that's sadly lacking these days. And I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I understand why it's not that way anymore. And, uh, and I don't expect it ever will be again, but it's just, uh, it's sad that that's fading into, into history. Well, any final comments or stories to share before we wrap this up? Oh, I, I, you know, I probably will think of several after we're done, but, uh, you know, I, I can't think of any that, uh, that I can repeat in polite company. Uh, 
Well, what if you consider me impolite company? Well, <laughs> yes. Well, but other people are going to be watching this. So, uh, well, sir, no, I think that'll do it for this one. Uh, maybe we can do it again one day. Okay. All right. Very good. All right, sir. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you, Tim. All right. Bye. This has been a production of Where You At Studios, LLC.